When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to The Blackout. As always, coming to you from BellyUpSports.com, he is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black. And Alan, we've made it through one week of the college football season. I think there's probably some size of relief with that, in a sense. And we are moving on to week two with a killer slate featuring games like Texas, Alabama, Notre Dame, NC State, Texas A&M, Miami, Nebraska, and Colorado. We got the Buffaloes again with Coach Prime himself and everything and all the glory that came with week one. How in the world are you, sir? Well, I'm limping after week one. My gosh, that was incredible and brutal and fun. And I'm so glad college football is freaking back, bro. No doubt about it. Now, you are listening to our weekly ATS Pick 'em Pod for our Against the Spread contest over on CBS Sports. And because we have one week in the books, we've got to talk about our current leader. His name is Trey. He went seven and three along with three other people in week one, but his tiebreaker was the best. He had a final score total of 81 points, only six points off the real total. That earned him the spot atop the leaderboard through week one, an excellent spot to be. And uh, Trey does lead the pack for the $175 plus a blackout t-shirt. So bigger prizes this go around as we've documented here on the show. But Alan, a really tremendous start by a handful of people in our contest. We talked about that earlier, that if you can excel up to a seven and three mark or beyond, you're doing a really, really good job in the ATS Pick'em. So an excellent start for those folks, but Trey in particular, atop the leaderboard in a great spot. Heck yeah, seven and three on a week like last week where there were so many unknowns. I mean, not just in the pick'em slate, but just overall, there were an incredible amount of unexpected finishes. I think even Vegas on a lot of things, they weren't even close on some of their spreads. On a lot of their spreads, quite frankly, to go seven and three is a remarkable feat. No doubt about it. For the two of us, we were not so stellar in our picks, but we weren't all the way terrible either. Alan, you ended up going four and six in your first week. That is good with your tiebreaker score for a tie for 20th place. And you did happen to go 0-2 in your ATS locks in week one. Not a great way to start, but what are your thoughts looking back on the week one slate, talking about your ATS locks and anything else you picked up from a week ago on Saturday? 
Wah, wah, wah. This is one of those weeks where they're like, and why are you on a podcast again? <laughs> you know? But here's the deal. On the ones that I talked about on here, the one, the TCU over Colorado, that was a lock, right? And I wasn't the only one that had that. In fact, the majority of America had that. But Colorado was incredibly good at an unexpected level. And very, very early on, you and I were texting back and forth. I'm like, this is not going to hit. The one, in my opinion, that was much more surprising was Army just pooping the bed against Louisiana Monroe. At one point, late in the second half, that game was 13-3. to Now, they weren't looking pretty, but they were going to cover the spread. And then, in a crazy fashion... Louisiana Monroe scores twice in the final five minutes to make it 17 to 13. So we're not only do they not cover, but then they even lose the game. They have five turnovers. Their quarterback, what is his name? I know his last name is Daly, but I don't want to see him again until next year because <laughs> that dude was awful. The Army offense, as you mentioned on this podcast, to your credit, as a worry, turned out to be a massive, massive concern because they were trash. The defense played pretty well, but eventually they gave up a massive 62-yard run at the end of it to make it 13-10, and then they just couldn't hold on at the end. Was really, really upset by that one. But on the other side, if you listen to the confidence pick and if you took my advice on Fresno State to actually upset Purdue in the confidence pod – you would have had another dub like me, even though I only got four dubs overall. It was one that I was pretty proud of. Absolutely. And I think the way that you're talking about these games, obviously you were off as well as I was, as well as a lot of other people were with the TCU pick minus the 20 and a half points. Obviously we were on the wrong side of that, but with the army game in particular, how they fell apart late and with the Fresno State pick, of course, that's the right side. But with the Army pick in particular, I think if we were to pick this game again, would you by chance be on the same side just with how that game played out deep into the game? Like you said, with a 10-point lead, they were covering until it all collapsed late. Yep. If they were to play this game again, I would absolutely have the exact same. I would pick Army to win that game and to cover the eight and a half point spread again. Yeah, I like it. I would be on the same side as well. And I think that's one helpful way to look at these things as we go throughout the season, because I think it's important not just to watch a final scoreboard, not just watch a final win or loss coming through on the ATS side, but it's important to know how these games play out. Because like we've talked about, we're really theorizing things here on the show every single week. And some of these theories play out and they back up exactly what we're saying. Sometimes it goes the other way. But I think you have to have a very critical eye to understand, hey, I played that one right. I got it wrong on the end result, but I can build up some evidence for why to go with the team again or to understand how that game actually played out. It can really help you out in understanding these teams, their makeup, matchups going forward. And it's a huge benefit to why we talk about these things on the show each and every week. 100%, man. All right. I had just a slightly better week than Alan did with my ATS picks. I went five and five and my tiebreaker got me good enough for 13th place in the pick'em group. Like I said a week ago, when we talked about this thing, I am perfectly content going five and five on a weekly basis in the ATS. Now I don't want to do it every single week, 
but as long as I'm at 500 or above, I'm very, very happy with those results. So I don't want to fall too far behind, but I'm okay starting off five and five. I don't want to build up too many of those in a row, but staying away from the below 500 records and uh, working my way up into the positive is certainly a good spot to be. My ATS locks went a little bit better than Allen's. I won with Penn State minus 20 and a half points versus West Virginia, though it was a backdoor cover with Penn State scoring a late touchdown with less than 10 seconds to go. And I lost a close one with UTSA plus half a point at Houston. Now, the interesting thing with that is because Penn State got a backdoor cover, I would be tempted if we pick those again to go with the other side with West Virginia. But if you look back again at tracking how that game went, the Nittany Lions were up 31 to 7 with seven and a half minutes to play. They're up 24 points. They were covering at that point. And of course, they got the late cover as well that got me the win. I don't think I really deserved it because it was a backdoor cover, but I would kind of be on the fence as what to do with that one in another week ahead. The other thing is with my other pick, even though I lost UTSA plus half a point, Alan, I'm interested to know what you think with this, but I would be. on UTSA again if this game was played tomorrow. Now, Houston was better than I imagined they would be. This game was much more in doubt than I thought it would be. But I came away from this one thinking, you know what? I think I had the right side. UTSA lost by a field goal. They missed a field goal in the game. Frank Harris, who's been tremendous his entire career through three interceptions, he never does that. I looked back in his entire career. Again, he's been around now. This is his seventh year of college football. He's had one other game where he threw three interceptions. So twice in his entire career this has happened, and it just so happened to happen on Saturday. If not... I think I'm probably on the winning side of that one. So I think the way the game played out, even though it wasn't necessarily robbed from me, I feel like very easily the Roadrunners could have come out on the winning side for me with a plus half a point. I totally agree. Again, they played this game again. I'm on UTSA as well. Now, do I feel personally vindictive against Frank Harris? Because not only did he do this to me this time, but in the bowl game as well, the past two games... He's played like cheeks, bro, like straight cheeks. It's been horrendous, and he's the reason they've lost these last two games in the bowl game and then against Houston here. It's like they decided to call Clemson's offense and be like, you know what, (laughs) let's have a suck-off and see who can be worse. So, yeah, I I agree with you, though. I mean, it's not a bad pick. I would pick them again because I think they're the better team. No doubt about it. So, Alan, are you ready to jump into some week two locks as we head into another week on CBS Sports? I'm ready to move forward, man. Snap and clear. All right. Now, I believe, what terminology did you just use for sucky offense? (laughs) Good Lord. I don't even know. They were straight cheeks, bro. Cheeks. Let's go to some more cheeks, some offensive cheeks, because (laughs) I am looking at Iowa, at Iowa State, in what we have come to know and love in these pick'em slates every single year as like 17-14 games, 21-17, There's just nonstop defensive action between these teams, and I am zoning into this one as my favorite ATS lock of the week. I'm looking at an Iowa team that is a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Iowa State, 
And we cannot enter into looking at this game without looking at the gambling saga that has been going on around college football. It happens to pertain to both of these teams. If you don't know what I'm talking about, both of these teams are missing players or have guys who have been wrapped up in this to some degree or another. And I think it hits one side much harder than the other, particularly because when you look at Iowa, most of the guys affected by the gambling situation going on are bench players or guys who've already transferred out of the program, in particular wide receiver Arlen Bruce, who was a contributor for this team in recent years. He had 19 receptions a year ago, but I don't think he was a vital piece to this team. Now, he's out of the program. He's off somewhere else as he's transferred out. I want to say it's Oklahoma State or something like that, but I might be getting that wrong. Just don't take my word for it. And as we look at Iowa State, the opposite is true. They have loads of dudes who are not with the team right now, not practicing, have left the team completely in many scenarios. It starts with quarterback one, Hunter Deckers. It goes to starting running back, Jirel Brock. It goes to the starting nose guard, defensive tackle, whatever you want to call him, Isaiah Lee. Maybe a starting tight end. I know they have a couple of guys they really like over there in Deshaun Hanneke. And just this week, another suspension came down for starting right tackle, Jake Rimsburg. So, Alan, I'm looking at a situation with two offenses that are largely, usually pretty pathetic, and two defenses that are largely, usually pretty good. But with Iowa State, I think their offense is going to be severely impacted. You also talk about a starting defensive tackle, nose guard, and Isaiah Lee that should be a guy that plugs up the middle. And I think that's a significant detriment to Iowa State. Instead of Hunter Deckers, who has a year under his belt as a starter from a year ago, now they've got redshirt freshman Rocco Becht coming in to start at quarterback. And he was anything but astounding in their opener as they won 30-9 to over Northern Iowa a week ago. He went 10 of 13 for 113 yards and two touchdowns. You flip it over to Iowa, and like I said, they're not impacted by the gambling situation as much as Iowa State is. And then on the good side, they brought in transfers, Cade McNamara and Eric All at tight end and quarterback from Michigan. I think those are upgrades for their offense. They like their running back and Caleb Johnson. They have what should be another elite defense. So when there's more question marks, I think certainly with Iowa State, and when you have an Iowa team that I think can absolutely dominate them and has the potential to even shut out the Cyclones this week, I think, there is no way I'm doing anything but locking up Iowa minus the three and a half points this week. Honestly, I don't blame you at all. This one, I have tremendous terrors, like trauma, <laughs> like Vietnam level trauma about this matchup because I don't know that I've ever picked it right in the entirety of my existence. Because you think this game's going one way and then it goes the complete opposite way. This is one that makes a ton of sense for Iowa to be able to cover this game. And I'm with you. Like that feels the exact same way. But I just don't trust them. Maybe all those Iowa State guys are going to bet the over this time and see what can happen because it's just nuts. I understand the trepidation. I've been there myself. But when I look back at this game a year ago, I picked Iowa State as a lock plus the points. They came out and won. Now, that was a dicey game, and they barely did it, but I was on the right side. And I look at this team again. It's a similar team apart from all the losses they have, especially starters on the offensive side. 
And even on top of that, they lost their best offensive player from a year ago in Xavier Hutchinson, who had well over 100 receptions. He was one of the more underrated wide receivers in the entire country. So he's no longer there. You got a redshirt freshman quarterback. I just think everything points to Iowa winning this game. Now, maybe I get burned and maybe Iowa wins by only a field goal. But again, when I think that Iowa State could possibly get shut out in this game, or it's going to be very low scoring, probably something like 10 points or seven, maybe a couple field goals, anything like that. I think there's a lot of scenarios where Iowa can find themselves uh, positioning themselves to win by a score, seven points, maybe even more than that, especially if a shutout's involved. I get it. <laughs> I do. I think there's so many scenarios that Iowa wins this game and covers, but I just don't trust them. <laughs> it's like longtime listener and supporter Bruce. He can't trust TCU, and I'm in the same way with this game. That's fair. I understand. And um, it sounds more like to me that you're not so much in a debate where you're going to have this game. Can you give me a lean to where you're actually going to make your pick? I mean, I'm leaning towards picking Iowa. All right, Alan, why don't you go ahead and take us away with your very first ATS lock of the week? So as opposed to an old-fashioned big white boy brawl in the middle of corn-fed places in Iowa, I am going to go to high-speed, fast-paced. And this is a game that I find very intriguing. We're going to the Mountain West with UCF traveling out of conference to Boise State. Now, I just think, one, it's a very fun matchup. But two, looking at things that have already happened, UCF rolled in week one on Thursday night against Kent State, 56-6, to six, putting up literally 700 yards of offense, 330 yards passing, and 380 yards rushing And this is a Boise State team that got trounced by a very, very good Washington team. Now, some teams did not have success going into the Mountain West last week. Just ask Texas Tech, another Big 12 team, how they fared at Wyoming. But I think that this UCF team can be very good with John Rice Plumley, And I don't think that this Boise State team is overwhelmingly good. This isn't the early 2000s Boise State team. I've got UCF covering the three and a half point spread. And I'm locking that baby in because I think they're going to be able to score. And I think their defense is going to be much, much better. The biggest concern for Boise State is they gave up a ton, literally 500 yards passing to Michael Penix, who's really good. But that's not something that you can just flip in a week. I think that UCF is going to go on the road and cover pretty easily. When you go to Boise State and look at Taylor Green, who is a good runner and a good athlete, but a mediocre, probably at best, passer, I really don't think that opportunity is there. So that backs up, I think, exactly what you're saying. I stayed way away from this one in terms of lock. But in my initial looks this week, I am leaning to doing the exact same thing, taking UCF minus the three and a half points. I think it's significant when you look at this team that they are favored by this much already on the road. And one of the fascinating things about this pick and board that we have this week is we have a lot of road favorites. 
Uh, I think that makes for a very interesting week, but I'm generally leaning toward UCF as well. I think it is cool that you have kind of a under the radar kind of experienced quarterbacks battle going on here, Taylor Green Mm -hmm. with Boise State, and then with John Rice Plumley and UCF. Plumley gets the offense moving in a couple of different ways with his legs, with his arm as well. So a couple of dual threat guys, but I think I'm leaning with you with the offense of UCF and the Knights minus the three and a half points. It feels a little odd that it's only three and a half, but I don't know that Vegas really knows what to make of either of these two teams because Kent State's not very good, and we know that. And we know that Washington is very good. So I feel like the three and a half is fairly conservative only because we don't know exactly what these two teams are. But I believe UCF is going to be able to score, and that's going to be able to translate pretty much anywhere that they end up taking it. So it's unfortunately because this could be a really fun game, and it just so happens to be at the same time slot as the Bama-Texas game. So nobody's going to be watching it. (laughs) (laughs) I will have multiple screens, and I will be watching it. But as you're talking about, I'm going to have Texas-Alabama on primary screen, and that will be getting largely most of my attention. So I'll be watching as much as I can, but it certainly takes a secondary seat to some of the other games we have going on at that same time. Alan, for my second ATS lock of the week, and another one that I feel pretty strongly about, I am going to go to a matchup of future Big 12 opponents because we have one from the Pac-12 in Utah traveling to Baylor, and this is a game where we have a lot more injury notes to document as we go. On Baylor's side, starting quarterback Blake Shapin was knocked out of game one with an injury to his MCL. It has been estimated that he'll be out two to three weeks, so not a massively significant injury, but certainly impactful to Baylor coming up in this game and a couple of games probably down the road. Backing him up is Sawyer Robertson, who does not have much experience at all. He's a former transfer from Mississippi State, and he's thrown something like 23 pass attempts in his entire career. In this game this past Saturday, he went 6 of 12 for 113 yards, a bunch of yards, but zero touchdowns and an interception. He has yet to throw a touchdown in his collegiate career. And when I look back at what we talked about with Baylor in the offseason with our pick and profile episode, this is a team that does not return many guys on the offensive line. One starter back, plus some transfers trying to fill some holes. They didn't have a good run game against Texas State. And when you looked at what this team was expecting coming into the year, with Richard Reese running back, they're expecting a strong ground attack. But in week one against a Texas State team that I don't believe probably has the best defense in the world, they ran the ball 32 times for only 108 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. Then you flip it over to the other side, and Utah's dealing with a lot of injuries too. Cam Rising didn't make the first game against Florida, but he has been cleared for a full go in practice as of this week. So maybe he's there, but he's been listed as day-to-day. I'm not going to say that he will be back, but I think it's possible. His backups, I thought, were serviceable to decent in their game against Florida. Bryson Barnes came in and completed two-thirds of his passes for 159 yards and a touchdown. Nate Johnson came in and ran the ball six times for 45 yards and a touchdown. He adds a different dynamic to this offense in case rising is not available. And then you look at some other injury situations they have. Starting running back, Jaquindon Jackson was barely involved in the game against Florida. He's also listed as day-to-day, but his backup, Micah Bernard, came in and ran the ball seven times for 45 yards. He was solid. They've got multiple receiver options, though I'm not impressed with any of them to a great extent. I do think they have guys that can impact the game on that side. 
And of course, they're waiting on a guy like their starting tight end, Brant Keithy, to come back from injury. I don't have great word of when that's going to happen. Maybe he's listed as day-to-day as well, or maybe he's still out for a couple of weeks. I'm not exactly sure, but I'll be tracking that as this week goes on. And one more injury to take note of is starting linebacker Kareen Reed left the Florida game with concussion protocol. So he's another guy that I'm guessing probably isn't going to play this week at Baylor. But when I look at this team and what happened with Baylor in their first game, losing to Texas State in a shootout, if Texas State can have success against this Baylor defense, I have to imagine Utah can. With the number of weapons they have, with the physical offensive line they have, with the experience that their backup quarterbacks got, and then if any of these day-to-day guys are coming back, Cam Rising, Quinton Jackson, Brant Keithy, if any of these guys are back, it just enhances their odds of having a great offensive output against this Baylor defense. And this physical defense that sacked Graham Mertz five times, I think that's a tough deal to go up against for a young quarterback in Sawyer Robinson. So, Alan, I am willing to go and lay the points with Utah. I'm going to take the Utes minus the seven and a half points, even on the road against future Big 12 opponent in Baylor. I mean, listen, it's hard to argue with you. Anybody that makes TJ Finley look like a Heisman quarterback deserves to be doubted at this point. (laughs) One of the great concerns in the preseason that we talked about is their defense was putrid last year. They were really, really bad and held them back in some games. And they're not any better, it doesn't seem like, this year. So even though this wasn't a lock, this feels like one of those types of games that I'm going to be on that side. Just because Utah was impressive, especially defensively against Florida. They were able to get after the quarterback with a quarterback that hasn't played a ton. Even at home, that's a tough ask against, as you mentioned, a very physical unit. So it feels like Utah is going to be able to get to 2-0 and and even cover a 7.5-point spread. Yeah, we talked about this game in another pick and profile earlier this year when we talked about the Baylor Bears, and we talked about making sure you were on the side of Utah, at least in a straight-up situation, like in a confidence pick them. So, um, you know, that's not breaking down that contest here, but I do get a good feel for this one just because of, like you said, when Baylor allows TJ Finley to have a monster game and allows him to kind of single-handedly take them to a win, we saw that guy perform in the SEC for a long time, both at Auburn and LSU, and it wasn't pretty. So, you know, he had his moments, and he's athletic and he's big and tall, but he's not the type of guy that I would expect should be able to win a lot of football games by himself. But for him to show up at Texas State and do that, uh, I think that's a big negative mark on Baylor's side. And I don't think that you're going to see this Baylor team, especially with a backup quarterback now, have near the offensive success that they already had in week one against this Utah defense. Yeah, I agree, man. All right, Alan, where are you going for your second ATS lock? Let's keep it in old Texas. I've got a game that last year was just as bad as ugly as ugly could become. But this year, I think there's a team that is really starting to turn the corner. So I'm going Texas A&M at Miami. This is a game that there might be 1,300 people at because nobody goes to those games, oddly enough. And who blames them? It's like an hour outside of Miami. A&M is not going to be scared of that test in that regard. Now, Miami is a team that still does have Tyler Van Dyke and is a team that can push them on some levels. 
But I think this Texas A&M team is much, much improved. They were able to put up a significant amount of points over an inferior opponent, which last year, quite frankly, they weren't able to do. It really feels like Jimbo has given over the offense to Bobby Petrino, who is an offensive wizard. I mean, he made Arkansas a yearly top 10 opponent, and that's a hard thing to do. This is a team that talent was never the issue last year. Defense was not the issue last year. It was the offense. They have a quarterback now. Connor Weigman is um, QB1 for them and proved it as much this past week. It's a low spread, even though it's on the road. It's minus four and a half. And you know what? I've got the Aggies covering that. I think they'll probably win by two scores, honestly. I could see it happening. Uh, This is one that, again, I wasn't very close to naming it as a lock on my side, but I've got to lean the exact same way. And when you mentioned stuff about Connor Wegman coming in and the fact that he looks the part as a leader, as a quarterback, as a guy that can actually have an impact positively on a game and on an offense, I think that Texas A&M does have their guy. And I think that it'll be interesting to see what this looks like against Miami because I think they've got talent on their side as well. But I agree with you. I think Texas A&M has the bigger advantage with more talent. With all the five stars they've brought in, especially along the defensive line, at wide receiver, at quarterback, different things like that. I think that this does make sense to me to go with Texas A&M as well. I wish this line was lower. I wish we found this thing at three and a half or two and a half instead of the four and a half. But I believe I'm going to be laying the points as well and going with Texas A&M minus the four and a half as we get up to Saturday in week two. Yeah, I don't see Miami being explosive against this A&M defense, but I do see with Evan Stewart and Connor Wigman, I can see them being very explosive against Miami. Even though Miami took care of business in week one, this is, a, I think, a different-looking team as you look at the Aggies this year. I like it. Now, Alan, we are looking to move from the ATS Pick'em, where we both got off to respectable but not necessarily great weeks, and we are going to be going over to talk about the confidence side on our next Confidence Pick'em pod for week two as we jump on to our next recording. So we are both looking to bounce back from a really, really rough week one. So uh, any thoughts from you as we try to climb from the back of the pack, starting off in week two? Listen, if anybody's able to do it, I think we're built different. We're built to do it. (laughs) And so, you know, there was so much of last week on the confidence side was purely about placement. I mean, I was six and four. The leader was seven and three. It wasn't about the number of games we got right. It's just that the people up top, and kudos to them, they had some reservations about that TCU team that I didn't have, or they had way more confidence in Prime that I had. And quite frankly, they didn't believe that Army had as good a shot to win as I did. I was bullish on them last week. And you know what? They did not come out to play. So because of that, I'm a little bit lower than the middle of the back. You're dang right about placement. And I'll tell you this, especially in week one, we tend to see some of those people that benefit at times because they don't know what they're doing with a confidence pick them and they don't reorder any of their games. And what did Colorado do? They kicked off at noon. 
So if you got the opportunity to pick TCU at a level one or two in confidence because you didn't know anything about a confidence pick them and you lost that game at a one or a two while other people had it at eights, nines, and tens, then that absolutely benefits you. So placement, you're exactly right. There were some people who were very hesitant on that game, but there probably are some people up there at the top of the leaderboard who didn't even know what they were doing about reordering the games. And learn a lesson or two. Make sure you just take that as a boost to your system and make sure you start ordering your games properly as we move forward because that's a lesson that everybody needs to learn. 100%. This is when you got to come back and do it again. And again, and again, that's the beauty of having a 15-week season. As a note to all of our Patreon supporters, get your spreadsheets ready because we have that Pick'em Spreads versus Confidence Value Sheet that is available to you where you can get a quick glance each and every week of all the Pick'em Spreads that are available to you. If you would like to gain access to that, you can join us on Patreon for as little as $1.50 a month. That's at the season ticket holder level, and you'll get access to that spreadsheet where I update the spreads all throughout the week. Usually it's multiple times per day, and I do it all the way up until Saturday. Last week I did it maybe around 10 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, to make sure there was one last quick glance for any bets that are coming in around the world that are changing these lines, for people that want to get a reference for a confidence values in association with the spreads. It's a helpful tool and something that we use each and every week here on the show. So, Alan, we are headed off to record that confidence pick pod, and if you are not a part of the team yet, you can listen to the conversation we're about to have by joining us on Patreon at the walk-on level or higher. That's where you would join us for $2.50 a month or more, where you're going to get a bonus confidence pick pod each and every week. Alan, can't wait for more discussion of college football coming in with the slate in week two, and can't wait to find some value on the board for those people who are so dedicated to our product. As am I, man. I'm looking forward to it. See you on the other side, brother. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here.